Hi, welcome to the new POMEPS Conversation Series. I'm Mark Lynch, Director of POMEPS, and we're delighted to have our guest with us today, Michael Wahid Hanna of the Century Foundation, and Thanasi Kambanis, also of the Century Foundation, and author of the book Once Upon a Revolution. Gentlemen, welcome to POMEPS. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Mark. So we are rapidly approaching the anniversary of the January 25th revolution in Egypt. And um, since both of you have been writing about, observing, and living through Egyptian politics uh, quite intensely, I wondered if you could just reflect on how you see the current state of Egypt, what went wrong, what's on your mind about uh, how we should be thinking about Egypt today. Michael, why don't we start with you? Sure. Uh... I, I think it's it's quite odd because if we look at how the Egyptian authorities are acting, proceeding, uh, if we look at the tenor of uh, state or pro-state media, one would think that January 25th, 2016 was going to be a big milestone, a big date. Um, they're acting as if there is a kind of gathering storm that they are... Um, proactively and preemptively dealing with. We've Do you think seen, they're wrong? I think they're absolutely wrong. I mean, this is this is the real mystery um, that I think a lot of people are puzzled about. I mean, um, we've seen, obviously, fairly relentless repression over the course of the past um, several years, uh, post-coup. Uh, but we've seen an expansion of targets, and, and, and we've seen art galleries closed. Uh, we've seen um, really revitalized uh, uh, methods of repression with respect to expression. Um, and if one were looking from the outside in, uh, unversed in what's actually happening in the country, uh, it might appear that there was, again, um, some sort of threat of major instability. And instead, uh, we have what I think is something of a structural feature now, which is uh, um, the breakup of the possibility of tactical alliance between Islamists and non-Islamists. I think that relationship is so fractured and poisonous uh, based on what's happened in um, the past five years uh, that you can't have the kind of tactical alliance that was at the heart of the 18 days uh, and that produced a kind of outsized effect that eventually toppled the Mubarak regime. I don't think that's possible anymore. Um, and yet the way they are proceeding, it's as if they imagine that this kind of uh, convergence is right around the corner. And I think they're wrong. Thadassi, your book really did a great job of chronicling exactly that breakdown of the revolutionary coalition and, and that growing suspicion between the Islamists and, and the rest. Uh, do you agree with Michael that uh, about where things now stand? Yeah, I mean, I think it's in a way uh, more depressing than than Michael's comments got. Uh, you know, he didn't get to all the depressing aspects of this. <laughs> yes, uh, that's the that's uh, more like you it. know. So on the one hand, alternatives to the regime, I see fewer than I did in two thousand and eleven. The coherence of the critique of authoritarianism is 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 you know, it's it's sort of it's completely on its heels. The repression has succeeded. On the other hand, the state is uh, is a mess. It's a worse mess than it was under Mubarak. So we have like a. a repression on steroids ruling from a position of weakness and fear uh, and this is I think it's a terrible cocktail because my, my sense is another uh, another uprising is inevitable and it's going to go much more poorly than the last one did uh, because the state 
can't manage. It can't manage as well as even Mubarak's weakened and 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 sort of ineffectual late uh, rule uh, did to either deliver services or at least keep things under control. And on the other hand, the alternatives to that, as weak as they were in 2011, are weaker still. So we'll get some kind of explosive. Uh, you know, maybe even a workers' revolt, maybe simply a revolt of the hungry, which will be crushed by by the kind of indiscriminate force that we've seen Sisi uh, invoking, and that's you know that's just going to go worse than what we have now. So you don't agree with Michael that this is the kind of level of instability and challenge that uh, will make things unstable but but durable. I think that's the way you described it. Uh, yes, I have, I mean, sustainable instability. Sustainable is what instability, I, I right? Well, I, I, I actually think that CC has has done a surprisingly poor job of consolidating power. Uh, I think he hasn't managed, still to this day, uh, to extend his his roots beyond the intelligence uh, branch that he rose out of. Uh, so the, I mean, I, I think the military <coughs> itself is uh, positioning. Uh, positioning itself for a post-CC transition. The, the SCAF meets routinely without him. Uh, there is not a, uh, you know, there's not deep wells of support for him in the infantry, in the Air Force, in the Navy, uh, and certainly not in the wider bureaucracy. And, and your colleague, uh, Nathan Brown, writes very persuasively about this. The the uh, Egyptian state and the different bureaucracies, including the ju- judiciary, are not uh, uh, under any presidential authority. And, and to the extent they were before, they're, they're under even less so. Uh, so I'm concerned. Uh, I'm concerned that we could be seeing a kind of not a crack up of the state. I think the Egyptian state is a durable construct and it's going to uh, it's going to outlast Sisi's misrule. Uh, but you can do a lot of damage uh, by by incompetent rule and by failing to build viable co- uh, coalitions within the authoritarian structure. Michael, do you think anyone's in charge? Uh it depends on what we're talking about, and it depends on which decision. I mean, I don't think we have a well-functioning, top-down uh, system of governance. And I think this is, analytically, this is a mistake that people make uh, in imputing every decision in this very chaotic framework um, to some kind of directive from on high. Um, you know, if it were that clean and simple, um, it might make for ease of analysis, but it's not. I mean. We have multiple examples of instances where there are breakdowns, where, in fact, it's true the judiciary often is perhaps um, acting in the spirit of its interpretation of where the regime is heading. Sometimes that is um, given closer guidance in a phone call uh, where uh, desired outcomes are stipulated, but more often than not, it's not done that way. Uh, and we've seen many instances where um, decisions have come down uh, that have created real uh, internal turmoil. The Al Jazeera English case, when, they, when those arrests were made, caused a lot of back and forth within the institutions of the state. This clearly wasn't a kind of um, top-down directive uh, that was out to, uh, uh, to to vindicate some kind of vendetta with the Qataris. It was a much messier situation than that. Uh, but to unwind mis- mistakes like that once they're in the system requires a lot of political capital, political capital that CC has, but is going to be very uh, um, uh, protective in terms of how that capital gets used. Unwinding mistakes uh, is is a problematic 
uh, endeavor. Uh, and I think it does touch upon uh, something that Thanasi mentioned, which was that he, they haven't done a very good job of consolidating their power. I don't think that means that they're susceptible to any kind of counter coup uh, or some kind of putsch that uh, originates from inside the security establishment. Um, I think the society is far, far too fatigued for that and out of ideas. Uh, and I also think the security establishment and, and the military in particular are essentially implicated in CC's rule. And I think they see their fate more in collective terms than um, than, than, than perhaps is, is, is suggested by Thanasi's um, idea. Thanasi, you pay close attention to kind of the activist communities and to these, uh, I think you describe them as these other spaces, these alternative spaces for organization. Do, do you hear, when you talk to them now, do you hear that they're out of ideas or do you think that they have some new set of ideas about how they should be approaching the Egyptian state at this point? I, I see the last sort of oases of vibrant political creativity in some of the prison writings that we see. Uh, I mean, Allah Abdel Fattah has, has, has actually produced some, uh, I think, smart uh, thinking and, and attempts to figure out a blueprint forward uh, for Egypt. And there, there are several other activists in prison uh, who, who are undergoing a form of political education and maturation through the writings that they're doing and, and smuggling out. Now that, that, from what I understand from my sources, that's getting harder and harder for them to do. Literally, it's getting harder and harder for them to write uh, and smuggle things out. The other space in which I see this is in that very small community of human rights defenders and journalists, citizen journalists like the Mada Masar crew uh, in Egypt, who are, uh, they've stuck it out and they've, you know, through some accident or good fortune have been, have been able to continue uh, uh, functioning uh, with with liberty, uh, and they're 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 trying to get past the seminal mistakes of the uh, the failed revolution, right? To, to figure out uh, how you have a liberal pluralism that is Egyptian. How do you deal with a country that is fairly socially conservative and Islamist leaning uh, in its in its tastes, uh, but yet seems to have a deep thirst as well for something other than military dictatorship? Uh, and I'm, I, I wouldn't overstate. The promise that we see in those two spaces, uh, but there's there's some there's some mature and sophisticated writing and political thinking going on there. And if if and when there's a there's a political transition in the future, it's going to be those people who are going to be the philosophers or the the political blueprints of that, not uh, the political activists who are now still working in the uh, uh, few permitted opposition parties like the Egyptian Social Democratic Party. If I could just add one thought to that, and that is that many of these people, I think, envision what they're doing as survival mode. Uh, it's not a notion of uh, an activism that has uh, an immediate output. And in fact, many people have simply taken a time out. Uh, you've seen a lot of people leave the country, whether that's to pursue graduate education or to do other things because this moment lacks ripeness. And because um, if they stayed in Egypt, they, they might go to, go to jail. Yes. I mean, there's right. also that. That's a big deterrent. Uh, but so I, mean, I think these people are in survival mode. And, and uh, a lot of these institutions want to figure out a way to function so that they don't cede that space, but are very cognizant of the real limits um, that, that, that um, create real obstacles to actually functioning as to how they imagine they'd be functioning several years back. 
What about the new parliament? Is there any reason to think that it's anything other than Mubarak's old parliament where you're basically just divvying up uh, the spoils of, of power among competing elites? Is there any reason to think that there's anything... Yeah, it might be something worse. Value. It actually might be a uh, a pathway to undoing the few legal achievements that remain from the revolutionary transition period. You I don't mean, think this, Mortada Mansour will be a vibrant defender of human rights? I, I mean, I think I, I mean some of the quotes I read were were really more distressing than I expected because they were saying this uh, castrated parliament has too much power. They didn't call it a castrated parliament, but they said this parliament has too much power. It's destabilizing. And that's horrifying theory because it, ha it has no real power as, as far as I can mm -hmm. see, but that little bit it has is viewed by uh, some of these hacks as too much. Uh, well, so I, I will disagree here. I think um, despite the best laid plans for a controlled parliament, I think what um, what is clear is that, that elites actually don't I agree on a whole lot. I mean, there's a there's a fair bit of elite discord, uh, and as opposed to the romantic view of a bottom up uh, process of rapid change, um, I I think we're in store for a much more incremental, gradual process. And I think a parliament, um, it might not be this parliament, but I don't think that uh, that that Sisi and those around him envisioned that that actually corralling political forces in this parliament was going to be quite so difficult. It's part of the reason that the elections were delayed for so long. Um, they don't actually have a good grip on politics. Now, that should be obvious. Why? Because they don't have a political machine. There's no NDP. They have no practice in this. Uh, you know, they let alone governance and 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 pushing the institutions of the state to function. Uh, but this isn't something that they know how to do. And importantly, there are, is a great deal of, of divergence among elite communities. We see, for instance, uh, the, the, the people around Ahmed Shafi quite disgruntled and dissatisfied where things stand. Uh, the business community has always been sus suspicious of the military. Now, this isn't going to lead to ruptures or massive change because I think, again, elites still view this moment of politics in collective terms and understand that uh, trying to uh, uh, create very public divergences uh, in, in, on mater in material terms um, is potentially destabilizing and runs counter to their interests. But I don't think it's going to be a very smoothly managed process, and I think we've seen signs of that already. You know, it's interesting. If you have a Mubarak-era parliament, it, it feels to me like we're, we're also getting back to a late Mubarak-era political press also. I mean, you're right. There's a remarkable amount of criticism of Sisi now, which you wouldn't have seen even six months ago or a year ago. And so you might end up with something like, uh, you know, the old... Uh, 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 political scientists, political theorists used to call this a weak public sphere where you can actually criticize and you can talk and you can form these alternative ideas, but you can't translate it into anything. There's a blockage between the, the this emergent political you know, discourse and actual institutional change. So maybe that's where we're heading. If they're savvy the authoritarians, term. yes. Uh, I mean, giving a space for some kind of superficial uh, venting might be mm -hmm. quite productive it's not clear to me that they're uh, even willing to indulge that over time. So we'll see what, what yeah. happens to that. Uh, but it's true that we have seen kinds of criticisms that we did not see two years ago. The question is whether the, the kinds of voices that Thanasi was talking about before are able to take advantage of that space. Well, right. I mean, in the, in the, I was going to raise the, the 
response to Islamists and to the Muslim Brotherhood as, as a sort of counterexample. A, a sophisticated dictator would leave some outlet for uh, for the Islamist energy that that survived the the coup against Morsi, uh, and Sisi has gone for a blanket a blanket ban and a blanket silencing on any uh, Islamist politics, which. I would argue is, is impossible in the long term to maintain. So it could be, you know, he could have a long term strategy in which eventually he'll allow an, a, more of an opening for, uh, you know, for some kind of permitted uh, tame Islamists. But this kind of like a full frontal war uh, against the entire uh, remaining apparatus of the Muslim Brotherhood bodes poorly for a, for managed a managed political sphere. Uh, and I think I think he's unrealistic in in what he can pull because Egypt is not Egypt has never been a Syrian style police state or a Libyan style police state. It's always been a, a comparatively freer place, uh, and and that soft public sphere you described had a lot of adjuncts to it, and there there, there was there was certain freedoms in in public life and intellectual life that were enough to uh, in a sense dissipate that energy that might otherwise be dedicated toward, towards uh, dissident activity. Uh, and I don't think CC gets that. I think he has a policeman's psychology towards managing politics, and uh, maybe he'll somehow accrue the strength to pull that off through brute force, which has been his uh, his uh, tactics so far. But I, I just don't see that working in Egypt. Well, but let's note there are Salafis to an extent. What's left of them involved in politics? Uh, the Wasat party leaders, some of them have left prison and seem to be wanting to figure out a way to reintegrate into political life. Um, so I think the the position with respect to the Muslim Brotherhood is unbending. Um, I don't know that it's we can be quite so stark to 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 say that that's that's the position vis-a-vis all Islamists. I think there are kinds of Islamists that might be permitted uh, and might be given space as long as they abide by the kind of guiding rules. Michael, let me ask one more question. Uh, you, you wrote a fairly um, uh, sharply worded uh, piece for Foreign Affairs not too long ago, which uh, you might summarize as saying you know, the United States should just get over Egypt, that it's not that important, the alliance has run out of steam, and that we should stop trying to uh, basically um, restore that alliance. Um, do you still make that argument? Do you find there's any takers for it? I think I have a lot of takers for it, but of course everybody is resigned to the idea that of course, yes, this might be true, but nothing can change. Um, it's not that Egypt's totally unimportant, but the the importance we've accorded the relationship is out of whack um, to to the outputs of that relationship. There's no strategic convergence. There's nothing like that. There's no close operating uh, relationship in, on a military to military basis. We've seen important, uh, much more important relationships uh, grow out of uh, recent turmoil in the region. We have a much closer working relationship with the Emiratis than we do with the Egyptians. They're much more useful to us. Um, and of course, there are all sorts of trade-offs uh, in that relationship. So without so, touching so, on the equities so there. So you don't think it's an issue of the U.S. failing to use its leverage? I don't at, think we have it's... leverage. I mean, I, I just, this is, uh, I don't think we have influence. So you know, you give aid, we have no influence. You threaten to take away aid, um, there's no influence. And so I, I just think it's an illusion. Um, where there's convergence, we might be able to have a kind of productive relationship, and maybe we'll see that in CT terms over time in Sinai. But otherwise, I just think it's proven to be a great illusion. We don't have that kind of influence over Egypt when we're dealing with things that appear to be existential to those uh, who are the main decision makers. 
All right, great. Thank you, uh, uh, Michael Wahid Hanna, the Century Foundation, and Thanasi Kambanis. I had actually forgotten, I should have mentioned, that uh, your book, Once Upon a Revolution, was actually on my beach, uh, my beach week summer reading list. I really quite enjoyed it. So thank you for writing it. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, thank you all for listening to the